National League Championship. They have beaten the Padres 4-3, and they celebrate on their home turf as the Phillies of the 2022 NL Champs. From WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season, and after two games, of disappointment in the desert. The Phillies win game five of the National League Championship Series and send this NLCS to Philadelphia with the Phillies just one win away from returning to the World Series for the second straight year. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. What a game in Arizona. I know everybody was tense. Everybody was stressed out heading into game five. And all we really needed to do was just look at Zach Wheeler who is our own zen on the mound. What a, what a performance from Zach Wheeler. We're going to talk about the offense. We're going to talk about uh, Game 6, and we'll touch on a little bit about what happened in Games 3 and 4 because I did not do any recaps of Game 3 and 4. I know uh, Justin and Liz did the Game 3 recap on Friday. None of you wanted a recap of Game 4 in real time, right? I knew that thing wasn't getting a single click. <laughs> so we just we were exhausted and decided, you know what, we'll just let Game 4 exist without us necessarily having to podcast about it because certainly there were opinions of plenty and I'll, I'll touch on a couple of things here in just a second because they had a direct impact on what we saw in game five but the series tied 2-2 a must-win game for both teams more a must-win game for the Diamondbacks than for the Phillies because going back to Citizens Bank Park certainly the odds would be in the Phillies favor favor to win game six but who knows what happens in a Game 7? No one wants to take that chance. The Phillies, would, if they'd lost three straight heading into a game, a game 6 in Philadelphia, certainly the pressure would have totally been on the Phillies at that point. Now it's reversed. The pressure is on Arizona to continue their season, while the Phillies have two cracks at getting back to the World Series now at Citizens Bank Park. And really, Game 5 of the 6-1 to Phillies win couldn't have gone any better for the Phillies if Rob Thompson had sat down at his desk and written out a script for how he wanted it to go before the game. And it was the Phillies veterans who brought who brought them home in this one. Some of these guys had been struggling since the team went out to Arizona, hadn't been pitch, hitting all that well. Uh, we certainly know the issues that the bullpen has had over the last couple of days. Uh, but it was on offense, specifically Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto leading the way with some Bryson Stott mixed in there. A little daycare thrown into the mix, but mostly it was it was the big boppers there, the veterans, the the high priced guys that we have looked to over and over again in each game of this postseason and in game five, they all delivered. But we'll get to all the home runs. We'll get to the offense in a second. Game five of the National League Championship Series should go down as an all-time great Phillies pitching performance by Zach Wheeler. This was a legendary performance by the man who is, I think, maybe the greatest free agent picking pitching acquisition maybe in baseball history. I mean, has there been a better free agent pitcher, more value for whatever you want to, however you want to, you, you talk about regular season and postseason and consistency and health and everything, you could not have dreamed of a better free agent pitcher to go out and get than Zach Wheeler. And with a bullpen that had a blown tire, and you could argue that the transmission had fallen out and the mufflers weren't doing too good and you had a couple of headlights out, they needed Zach Wheeler to find a way to get them home with a 3-2 series lead. And with, with all of that pressure, knowing that the bullpen was going to be restricted and that anybody that Rob Thompson called from the bullpen would have pitched the last couple of days, most of them, 
had probably not pitched all that well the last couple of days, confidence not high in many of those cases, that he had to go out there and he had to deliver. And with all of that pressure and with all of those stakes, Wheeler had his best start of this postseason. He went six, uh, seven innings, one run allowed, eight strikeouts, just the one home run on 99 pitches. Uh, he now has a 2.48 ERA here this postseason. Start in, uh, this is according to uh, Anthony DeComo. Saw this on X, Twitter, whatever the heck it is we're calling this thing. Starting pitchers with more than 60 career postseason innings, also with at least a strikeout per inning pitch, a whip under one, and an ERA under 2.5, there are two names on that list, Bob Gibson and Zach Wheeler. Anytime you are in postseason company with Bob Gibson, you've done quite well. He now has, Wheeler does, a 0.73 whip in 10 career postseason starts. That is the lowest in any 10-start span in postseason history. Zach Wheeler's opponents in his 10 career playoff starts are hitting 164 against him with a 211 on base percentage and a 256 slugging percentage. And when we take a look back at game five, when we look back at the annals of Phillies history, and I, I, I certainly am having a hard time imagining the Phillies not closing this thing out in Philadelphia. I'm having a hard time envisioning the Diamondbacks winning two straight games at Citizens Bank Park. I can't say that it, it can't happen because it certainly can happen. It absolutely can happen. You could have an Aaron Nola blow a game in Game 6, and anything can happen in a Game 7. I, I think the odds are far greater as we sit here right now, late in the evening on Saturday night, that the Phillies finish this thing off in Game 6. But so many things can happen. But as we, So as we look back on this Zach Wheeler start, if the Phillies win this series, certainly the, the legend of Game 5 will grow. But this has to be one of the greatest pitching performances in Phillies history. You, you, could, you could put this up there with Kurt, any of Kurt Schilling's starts in 1993. Game five of the World Series is the one that everybody looks to. And nobody's ever going to top that because he th that man threw 146 pitches that night uh, in that complete game shutout of, of the Blue Jays. That no, aside from the Roy Halladay playoff no-hitter, that, that's the greatest Phillies postseason pitching performance in franchise history. I mean, there's just no, no way around it. But Cliff Lee, anything Cliff Lee did in 2009... Anything Cole Hamels did in 2008, this is that, that's Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler has been 2008 Cole Hamels. Here's the other thing. So has Aaron Nola. <laughs> and we'll see if Aaron Nola uh, can, uh, can add to his postseason ledger this year. But Zach Wheeler came in, and with all of the craziness going on, the criticisms of Rob Thompson, many of which, some of which are legitimate, I also think Rob Thompson is getting hammered way too much. Um, for, for some of the decisions that went down. I don't think enough blame had been given to the actual relief pitchers, um, but we'll get into that more in, in just a few minutes. But with all of the stuff going on with Rob Thompson, all of the, the, the second-guessing going on there, you had the offense, which had kind of lost the long ball. They'd hit a home runner here and there but in, in, in Game 4, but the, the, the power stroke that we saw in Games 1 and 2 hadn't been there. So you didn't know what the offense was going to give you. Uh, you. With the struggles of, of Alec Bohm and Nick Castellanos and Bryson Stott heading into Game 5, and with this bullpen that was in shambles heading into Game 5, to come in and do that... To throw like that, and it didn't look like he had his best stuff early on either. He was throwing like 94, 
And then soon after that, he was topping, he was hitting 97, 98 miles an hour. And his breaking stuff, his curveball, sweeper, whatever it is, he was getting so many swings and misses for, with that pitch out of the strike zone. And as we've seen from the Diamondbacks in this series, they've done a pretty good job not chasing different pitchers. But they, they just couldn't, for the second game in the series, they couldn't figure out Zach Wheeler. And Zach Wheeler absolutely outdueled Zach Gallen. Zach Gallen's a great pitcher. Zach Gallen might win the National League Cy Young Award. I mean, that's that's when you talk about what the Phillies have done to Zach Gallen in, in Game 1 and now here in Game 5, it's really remarkable because Gallen's a great pitcher. I mean, he is, he is absolutely one of the best starting pitchers in the National League, and he, he got bit third time through the lineup. And so, and I, I don't want to jump ahead, um, but I just I'm comparing Wheeler and Gallon because I think during the course of the regular season, I think you could say Zach Gallon was the better pitcher during the course of the full regular season. And both these guys were were cruising through the first five innings, but of course Zach Gallon hit into trouble in the sixth. Zach Wheeler gave up just the one home run to Alec Thomas, and other than that, six hits as I mentioned, those uh, eight strikeouts, just the one home run allowed, one walk on the day, six hits. I mean, just a brilliant performance from Zach Wheeler. It'll go down in history, and of course it'll even be elevated even more if it's a, a win that helps get this team back to the World Series. So when you think of Game 5 of the 2023 NLCS, it'll be the Zach Wheeler game. And as you as you looked at game five here, as this game got started in the first inning, I, I think one of the things we saw in this game was that the Phillies looked like they had calmed down a little bit. I think the Phillies found a lot of success in games one and two, hunting for pitches early in the count and being uber aggressive early in the count against Zach Allen and against Merrill Kelly. In games three and four, that approach didn't work. Tommy Fott, had, not Tommy Fott, uh, uh, I forget the kid's first name, but Fott, their, their rookie who just dazzled them throughout that game, took advantage of their over-aggressiveness early on, and, and everybody was chasing out of the strike zone. Everybody wanted to hit the five-run home run, and you could just you could just tell the Phillies did not have that vibe. They didn't have that calm, cool, assassin vibe in game three um, that they had in games one and two, and, and some of that had to do with playing at two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, some of it, they didn't, um, it was interesting during the broadcast, they said that the Phillies didn't do any batting practice when they arrived in Arizona before, ahead of game three. They didn't do any infield drills. They just, they kind of just came out and played. And that's what they did um, when they were in Arizona earlier this year and won three out of four. So th- as an organization, they decided let's let's err on the side of getting more rest rather than getting all of that batting practice in and fielding work and stuff like that uh, the day before game three. And I don't know if that cost them or not, but they were not sharp in game three. They also were not terribly sharp in game four. Um, mental mistakes by Christopher Sanchez, not knowing how many outs there were and taught, you know, ignoring a double play ball. And that came around to allow a run to score uh, early in that game. And the Phillies just kind of seemed to be behind the eight ball for, for, for most of games three and four, chasing and trying to force things to happen. And in game five, they just looked calmer. They started to work at bats. They started to take pitches that were out of the strike zone. The home plate, home plate umpire wasn't helping them. Uh, Trey Turner almost got ejected. And you could see he was obviously upset about a third strike call on him that was a, at least a baseball and a half inside off of the plate. I mean, it was just an egregiously bad call. We've seen some very uneven umpiring here, uh, even since the the series shifted to Arizona. I don't remember it being this bad in Philadelphia. Of course, all I remember from the Philadelphia games is all the home runs the Phillies hit. I don't really remember much of anything else. Um, But uh, but in in Game Five here, it just you saw the veterans just kind of take control. 
and the Phillies approaches at the plate look calmer. Even Bryson Stott started to look like he was coming out of it. I mean, we're going to talk about how the Phillies scored here. Bryson Stott was the was the guy to kind of break through. It looked like the Phillies were going to waste a golden opportunity in the first inning. Kyle Schwarber has that ridiculous little swinging bunt single up the third baseline. He, he nicked it off the very edge of the tip of his bat. I think they said it went something like, you know, somebody joked it was five miles an hour off the bat. It wasn't that slow, but it wasn't a whole lot faster than that. Uh, but he gets on first base. Um, you had Bryce Harper uh, get a single in in that inning, and so you had two runners on first and first and second. Or maybe Harper walked. I forget exactly what happened there. Um, but you had first and second, uh, and uh, Alec Bohm comes up, and he can't get the job done. So it looks like it's up to Bryson Stott, and we've seen Bryson Stott in this NLCS not squaring anything up, popping everything up, rolling over grounders to, to the right side of the infield. I, he's just, just been off. But he comes through and hits a Zach Galen curveball down in the zone and serves it into right field. Kyle Schwarber scores. That was a huge, huge hit for this baseball team. The Phillies get an early first inning lead. Everybody relaxed a little bit. The Phillies weren't going to have to play from behind. I know the Phillies scored first in game 3, but that was kind of a kind of a fluky run that they scored on that on that wild pitch. I mean, they I think they got the bases loaded or the first and first and second with with uh, no, yeah, first and second with uh one, with nobody out and uh they, somebody hits a double play ball. You have Harper at third with two outs. It looks like they're not going to get anything and then the Diamondbacks hand him a run. Well, in this case Bryson Stott goes out and he earns them a first inning run and then they do a little bit of aggression on the base pads. And this is something I think we thought we would see from the Diamondbacks. We know the Phillies were aggressive in that Atlanta series. They've been a little bit less so on the bases here in this Arizona series, but they decided to try and force the action a little bit in the first inning with Bryson Stott attempting a steal of second, but he stops midway between first and second to allow Bryce Harper to try and score. And he does. Bryce Harper gets the steal of home. He becomes the first player in Philly's franchise history to steal home in the playoffs as part of the double steal. The ball was thrown wildly home by Perdomo, and um, Gabriel Marino, the catcher, couldn't couldn't haul it in uh, cleanly. It gets away from him, and he was kind of drifting into the baseline. Bryce Harper kind of hits him right across the jaw as he's, as he's trying to slide in. Uh, Moreno's a tough guy, man. He stayed in the game. This kid's a good player. 23 years old. He can really catch. He can hit. They got him hitting third in this lineup. He's going to be an all-star for a long time. He's really, really good. Uh, but the Phillies get that 2 nothing first inning lead, and uh, it, I had the feeling as I was watching this game, like, they're not going to score again, are they? <laughs> because Zach Allen, first two times through the order, was really, after that first inning, he settled down, was really mowing him down, but Zach Wheeler was matching him 0 for 0. Uh, then... The, the third time through the owner bit Zach Gallen. This is this is why when you see pitchers, the reason why um, Torrey Lovello pulled Fott as early as he did in game three, he did not want to see him go through that Phillies lineup a third time. You can see why managers are reluctant to have their starters, even if they're cruising, even if they look dominant. They are reluctant to have their starters go a third time through the order for the exact reason that you saw here in game five. Kyle Schwarber, Hits a 2-0 hanging breaking ball over down right down the middle of the plate for a 461-foot home run that left his bat at 114.1 miles an hour to give the Phillies a 3-0 lead. And that was the moment where you really felt like, 
oh, I think they might win this game. <laughs> you know, Up until then, I mean, you're just stressed out. You have a stress headache the whole time because you know all it takes is a, a, is a bloop and a blast and this, and this baby's tied and then the, all of a sudden Chase Field is rocking and the Phillies maybe start to get a little bit tight. You, you start to get a little bit nervous and things start to go downhill at that point. Then you start thinking about, oh, who's, you know, what are they going to do with the bullpen? Who's going to come in first? Who's, who's going to get what? And just oh, these bad thoughts enter your mind. The Kyle Schwarber solo home run off of Gallen in the sixth inning helped ease that burden. And then Bryce Harper, as they did in the first inning of game one against Zach Gallen, Bryce Harper, two batters later, follows with a monster shot of his own after working a seven-pitch at bat on a full count. He hits a high fastball almost as far and almost in the exact same spot as Kyle Schwarber's. Harper's goes 444 feet, 112.4 miles an hour off the bat. It's hard to believe that as you, if you looked at that Bryce Harper home run in a vacuum and somebody had said to you, you know, the guy two batters before him hit one even harder and farther than that, you'd be like, how's that possible? It's Kyle Schwarber. And these two gentlemen are... Are, are an unbelievable duo at the top of this lineup. They are now tied with Jason Wirth for the most home runs in postseason Phillies history. 11 home runs apiece for each of those guys. Now, Jason Wirth hit his 11 home runs in 40 games. Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber have hit their 11 in 28 games each. That is astonishing. The Harper home run gives the Phillies a 4-0 lead, and now you're starting to think like you're still not feeling good. You're still not feeling safe. You're still not feeling like game six is an inevitability, but you're starting to feel pretty good about things with the way Zach Wheeler is pitching. Now, Wheeler gives up uh, a solo home run to, to Alec Thomas to make it 4-1, to one, uh, but then you get JT Real Muto coming to the plate in the eighth inning, and I swear I had this thought as JT was sitting, was at the plate with a runner on first. I said to myself, Man, just just hit one out and 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 give it. Let's just coast from here. Just just hit one out. It's all you got to do. Just hit one out, and and we'll feel a whole lot better about things. We don't have to. We won't have to stress the rest of the way. And JT with a runner on first, and this is key that it was a runner on first because if the runner had been in scoring position, not sure what happened. What would have happened there? JT had the bases loaded and one out in a big spot earlier in the game and grounded into a double play. But he's been better with runners in scoring position lately. He's not going to come through every time. But in this case, no runner in scoring position. But it was a two-run home run, and it ended the Phillies' fluky, weird, crazy streak of solo home runs in the playoffs. Their last 16 home runs had all been solo home runs before Real Muto's two-run home run. This, uh, this play, in these playoffs, they've hit 23 homers. 19 of them have been solo. Can you just imagine how many runs this team would have scored if even three or four more of those home runs had been hit with runners on base. And just to go back to the Harper-Schwarber combination, I mentioned they each now have 11 career home runs in the playoffs um, for the Phillies. So that's 22 home runs in the last two seasons, postseasons combined. That's the most combined home runs by a duo over a two-year span in the playoffs in Major League Baseball history. Now, the Phillies have also played in wild card rounds, but... Um, Schwarber was absent. He didn't he didn't do anything in either of the Phillies two division series or wild card rounds. Kyle Schwarber only shows up to play in the playoffs once the league championship series <laughs> begins it seems. And so that was a uh, 
that's an incredible number, the the number of home runs that, that those guys are hitting. But at that point, it's six to one Phillies. And now with Wheeler out of the game, you get Jeff Hoffman in the eighth inning, who was pitching for the third straight day and was still painting 97, 98 miles an hour. Right now, he's the best reliever they've got. He, he's the he's got to be the eighth inning guy, and Alvarado's got to be the ninth inning guy, or or mi- reverse those two. I know I know Hoffman had that Austin Riley home run that he gave up uh, in Game Two of the National League Division Series, but uh, other than that, he has been an absolute terror on, on the mound, a bulldog, not afraid. He's a, he's such a calming influence. Like when Hoffman's on the mound, I'm not worried about him suddenly losing the strike zone. You know, he may maybe he'll give up a home run, but I'm not worried about him starting 3 and 0 on every hitter like we like we have seen from these relievers over the last couple of games. With when Hoffman's in there, I expect he's going to be around the plate. I think he's going to be effective and I think he's going to have his stuff and he does. What a find. What a find for the Phillies to get Jeff Hoffman and for him to be this high leverage postseason reliever that they clearly desperately need now with the issues that Craig Kimbrell has had uh, and some of the other some of the other arms that the Phillies have had. Now, Sir Anthony Dominguez comes in to get the ninth, to get the last three outs. He gets the first two very, very easily. Then allows a couple of base runners after that with Corbin Carroll coming up. Uh, Rob Thompson decided with the day off on Sunday. He didn't want to fool around. He went and got Matt Strom. Again, Matt Strom, the one who finished off game four of the NLDS against the Atlanta Braves at Citizens Bank Park. And he gets the final out, gets Carroll striking out to end it on another check swing. Again, weird. Uh, He got a check swing to end the NLDS, and he gets a check swing here to end Game 5 of the NLCS. So the Phillies only needed to use three relief pitchers here over the course of the last two innings. And really, probably, you could have left Sir Anthony Dominguez in there. He was throwing really well. A couple of weird little hits. Um, My guess is he probably could have gotten... Corbin Carroll out, but the Phillies just didn't want to didn't want to fiddle around with it, and they decided to go use Matt Strom. Matt Strom comes in, faces one batter, and now the entire bullpen will have a full day to rest. Uh, some of these guys who pitched three days in a row will be able to recuperate. Some of the guys who they were desperate to stay away from Jose Alvarado in this game, and the fact that JT Realmuto hit that two-run home run to make it a five-run game meant that they didn't even need to think about using Jose Alvarado in this game, and they didn't need to use Ranger Suarez in this game. That had been the conversation heading into Game 5, too. If the Phillies ran into trouble, if they needed a reliever late, this was Ranger Suarez's bullpen day, his in-between starts throwing session day. And last year in Game 5 of the NLCS, just like this, they used him for the final two outs to send the team to the World Series. They didn't need him to do that this time, and he'll be lined up ready to go for a potential Game 7 if need be, uh, in the World Series, I mean, in the, in the NLCS, um, uh, which would be on, as I'm doing the math in my head, Tuesday. But uh, again, hopefully uh, we won't ever have to see a Game 7 here in this NLCS. And one of the things that I think is interesting about the Diamondbacks in this game, and really in the series as a whole so far, they had plenty of base runners. They had some base runners against Zach Wheeler. They didn't have plenty. But when they did get base runners on, and specifically when Corbin Carroll has gotten on base in this series... They are not running. This is a team that did not hit a lot of home runs during the course of the regular season. They relied on pressuring you by being speedy on the base paths, by using their athleticism, uh, and by stealing bases. And I don't know if Corbin Carroll is afraid to run or if they've had team meetings saying, let's not give away outs on the bases here in the playoffs. But we've seen the Phillies are not afraid to give away an out on the bases here and there because I think we have also seen that more oftentimes than not, being aggressive on the base paths has netted 
positive results for the Phillies. They, it has it has earned them more runs than not. You force the defense to make a play, and you know maybe a third of the time, you know maybe a little bit more than that, maybe the defense makes the play and you're out. But the other half of the time to two thirds of the time, they don't make the play. They bounce a throw to the catcher when you're trying a double steal of home in the first inning. I thought it was an aggressive send to send Kyle Schwarber on Bryson Stott's RBI single in the first. I think if that throw is actually anywhere near home plate, Kyle Schwarber is toast. But the throw was up the line. Corbin Carroll sailed the throw up the third baseline, and Kyle Schwarber scored standing up, and that's because they were aggressive. Now, Alec Bohm got thrown out at second base uh, the other day um, in, in game four uh, when uh, they had um, on that grounder, that chopper to third base, that uh, the third baseman short-hopped the catcher, the poor... I got to tell you, man, that kid back there behind home plate, Moreno was taking a was taking a beating, and he got short hopped the throw in Game Four that went uh, that went past him that gave the Phillies the four to two lead. But you know, Alec Bohm got thrown out at second base, and that was foolish trying to go from first to second on that play when they really didn't need to. Um, but uh, the Phillies have been aggressive. The the Diamondbacks have not, and I wonder if we'll see that change in Game Six because they they clearly need to do something. Um, and Aranola, you can run on Aranola. I know he's incorporating a slide step, but you can run on Aranola, and I think the Diamondbacks would be foolish not to. JT Real Muto's got a real good arm back there, but so does Moreno, and the Phillies are stealing bases on Moreno. So we'll see what happens in game in game number six. But uh, this all set. This is game five was set up in a lot of ways by what we saw in games three and four. In game three, the Phillies just again they didn't come out. They didn't look ready. They didn't. They just kind of looked like maybe they were still hungover from game two. I do suspect, and based on stuff that we heard from uh, Garrett Stubbs talking about, you know, looking at the pool and wanting to, if they clinch in Arizona, to celebrate by jumping into the pool. Man, you can't say that stuff. You can't say that stuff. And he just got over his skis a little bit. And that happens when you win game two 10 to nothing. And it looked like the Diamondbacks were were collapsing in on themselves. That dropped pop-up in the infield just, it, it looked awful. And it looked like the Diamondbacks were the, the Phillies were going to make quick work of that team. But credit Arizona, man. They and that kid fought came out and threw a real great game against the Phillies. But the Phillies were also pressing. They were they were trying to do too much. Everybody's trying to hit the five run home run, and you saw it in Game Three. They started to work out of that in Game Four. It was there for the first half of Game Four. The Phillies worked their way out of it. They took that five to two lead in the seventh. Again, uh, they got some runs kind of given to them, but they also earned that five to two lead. It was five to three in the eighth. So many decisions by Rob Thompson in that Game Four that just didn't work out. Did he take Christopher Sanchez out a little bit too early? I thought so. I thought he they took him out a little bit too early. Why not have Matt Strom pitch you two innings in one of those in, in that game so that you can kind of get a little bit more length out of your bullpen? Uh, I think the I think Rob Thompson went to the Orion Kirkering well too many too too many times. You know he's a he's a he was in single A to start the season. I mean he, you need to I think you need to ease him in a little bit. I think these these are two high leverage spots for Orion Kirkering. We saw that in in games three and four that he just kind of wasn't really ready for that moment. But, of course, every, the, the guy everybody was talking about was Craig Kimbrell. Stru- and he really has been struggling. He just hasn't been able to put, put hitters away, uh, has not been able. And nobody in Game 4, none of the relievers were able to get ahead. Nobody could get strike one. Everybody was starting off 2-0, 3-1, 3-0, behind in the count. We saw it with, with Craig Kimbrell. Um, we saw it with the with that Alec Thomas home run, that two run home run that he served up, and then you know they they probably should have taken him out at that point, but they 
didn't want to bring in Jose Alvarado too early. Like they just didn't, he'd pitched the day before and, um, you know, Rob Thompson really kind of wanted to try and stay away from him in game four anyway, but he tried to get, once that home run went out, the, went out the yard and it was five, five. I think he thought Craig Kimbrell would settle down and, you know, get the last couple of outs, but it didn't happen. And it was a second straight game in which Kimbrell gave up the uh, going the game-winning hit. It was a walk-off shot in Game 3. In Game 4, it happened in the bottom of the eighth inning. But clearly, something's up with Craig Kimbrell. He's not sharp. His confidence is down. And so Rob Thompson said before Game 5 that he would not be in any high-leverage situations. But I'm, I'm here to tell you... Are there any low leverage situations in the playoffs? I mean, if it's a two, three run game and it's the sixth inning and you bring in Craig Kimbrell, you can just as easily lose it then as you can in the eighth or ninth. So, I mean, I don't, you can't not pitch him at all. He's an important part of your bullpen, but I'm not sure how you use him right now. Um, he needs a break. He needs a mental break. And it sounds like that's what Rob Thompson is going to do. But I, I do want to say that I think Rob Thompson, I think if you're going to look at, what the problems were with game four, he didn't have enough relievers. And I think part of that comes down to the roster construction. Why, why do you have Tywin Walker on the roster? If you weren't going to start him in game four, like the whole reason you have him on the roster is if you're going to start him in game four, because you can't pitch him out of the bullpen. Rob Thompson has said that on the off chance, you have a game that goes 15 or 16 innings. Maybe then you use Tywin Walker, but that's also why you have Michael Lorenzen sitting there in the bullpen gathering cobwebs. These two guys are not trusted to do anything of importance, and yet here they are on this roster doing nothing. You're, you've, you've gotten these pitchers together, but you're, all, you're, you're hamstringing yourself by only allowing yourself to use a couple. Uh, uh, to use, you're going too short, whereas Arizona has all guys that they can use to varying degrees, but they don't have like a starting pitcher who they've just decided not to use as a starter. And I, I think in the World Series, you're going to need to figure out a way to have Taiwan Walker start Game 4 so you can use Christopher Sanchez out of the bullpen and give yourself another lefty weapon out of the pen. Give yourself another one of those guys. I don't know if Taiwan Walker, I don't know if he, if, because he hasn't pitched in so long, whether that would be a stupid idea. Maybe it would be a stupid idea. But Christopher Sanchez didn't have any, any feel for his changeup in, in Game number 4. But I don't. But I think the fact you had those guys on the roster and then not doing anything really kind of makes Rob Thompson's job a little bit harder. And I'm sorry, but it's not Rob Thompson's fault that when he brings in a reliever, that they're continually continually falling behind two and one and three and zero. Oh. Like you bring in you bring in Sir Anthony Dominguez, he's got to not fall behind every single hitter. Orion Kirkering has to not fall behind every single hitter. Um specifically Gregory Soto. You know, when Gregory Soto is throwing strikes, he's a dominant relief pitcher. But it's half it, it's a 50-50 proposition with Gregory Soto. He can have it, and then he can leave and lose it in the middle of a, an, an appearance as well. Like, that dude's got to figure out, throw strikes, man. Throw strikes. Because your stuff is good. But you've got all these guys throwing 97, 98 miles an hour, 99 miles an hour, and they're fiddling around with their breaking stuff. Like, just throw strikes. Hit your spots and throw fastballs for strikes, man. It's really frustrating. It's frustrating to watch. There's nothing worse. There is nothing worse in this world. Like, when Jeff Hoffman gave up the home run to Austin Riley, that sucked. But he didn't walk a bunch of guys. You know, he, he made a mistake pitch. He got left out over the middle of the plate, and it got hammered. Okay, that happens. 
But Hoffman then doesn't come out and he's not trying to be too cute and throw stuff six inches off the plate so it doesn't get hit. No, my, my man is coming out there and he's just, he's throwing his stuff. Come and get it. And they couldn't come and get it in game five. And that's what the bullpen needs to get back to. Just strike one, strike two, here it is. You know, that's Alvarado's mantra or something close to that. But all of those guys could do that. And all of these guys throw hard. After games one and two, we were singing the praises of the bullpen. But I got to tell you, performances like game four have been waiting out there. I mean, we saw it in game in, in, in game two against the Braves, but really the Phillies relievers have been dancing between the raindrops for a number of playoff games now. It wasn't just here in, in game four uh, that was played on Friday. It, 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 they had gotten away with some shakiness, and it finally the Diamondbacks finally made them pay in game four. So I am not as big on the blame Rob Thompson train. Like you have to pitch Craig Kimbrell. And even after all of those machinations, even after all of those pitching changes, after all of those reliever decisions in game four, he was set up with a two-run lead in the eighth and ninth inning and his two supposed best relief pitchers ready to take each of those innings. That's how you draw it up. That's how you tell Rob Thompson to get you to the eighth and ninth inning. That Kimbrell will take the bottom of the order and Alvarado will get the top of the order, especially with Corbin Carroll there. That's how you draw it up. That's how you map it up. He got them there. Rob Thompson got them there. He got them to the eighth and ninth inning with Kimbrell and Alvarado. Kimbrell should have gotten the job done. That's on Kimbrell. That's not on the manager. And I've said it before, when when the players execute, the manager looks smart. Torrey Lovello. In game three, he pulls he pulls Fott early. Fott's cruising. What if the Arizona bullpen comes in and gives up the store? Lavello looks like an idiot. But they don't. They shut the Phillies down. Lavello looks smart. Lavello leaves Galen in the third time through the order here in game five. Could have taken him out. Maybe the bullpen comes in and shuts the Phillies down. And who knows what happens? Maybe the Phillies still win that game. But who knows? But because the players don't execute, it makes the manager look stupid or it makes the manager look smart. I thought there were a couple of decisions Rob Thompson made in game four that were a little bit weird, but they were defensible, I thought. Most of them were defensible, and pitching Craig Kimbrell was defensible. He hasn't been brutal in the playoffs. He gave up a walk-off hit in game three. That doesn't mean you can't use him again because we've seen Craig Kimbrell struggle and then bounce back the next night. And pitch, and pitch effectively. I expected him to pitch effectively against the bottom of the Arizona order in game four, and he just didn't. He just didn't. So I don't know what else, I don't know what else people wanted Rob Thompson to do in those spots. You could have tried to force Chris, Christopher Sanchez, who was not getting any swing and miss on his changeups, to go a little bit further. You could have had Matt Strom maybe pitch a couple of innings. Maybe you, lose, maybe you use Lorenzen in game four at some point. I mean, you got him. Maybe you use him in, in one of those spots, but then if Lorenzen gives up a couple of runs, we're asking, well, why did he use Lorenzen? Lorenzen hasn't pitched in forever. You see my point? Like, Rob Thompson has these relief pitchers, and they need to throw strikes. They, they need to get guys out. That's, 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 the whole, that's the whole thing. So I know there's been a lot of criticism of Rob Thompson for what he did in Game 4. I think, I think, he's, I think he's deserving of some criticism, but, but I, I don't know. I mean, he gets, he gets you to the 8th and the ninth inning with your two supposed best relief pitchers, your two highest leverage relief pitchers ready to go, and they just didn't get the job done. That's the bottom line. They didn't get the job done. So my, my, I, have, I have fewer problems with Rob Thompson than I think maybe most of you listening do. Anyway, with the Game 5 win, now we look at Game 6. 
And a couple of different things heading into game six. I would like to see Alec Bohm moved out of the cleanup spot. I think he's pressing. I think he's certainly frustrated. You can see it on his face. Put Castellanos or Real Muto there for now. Castellanos is struggling a little bit, but I think Castellanos will light up at home. I think he'll be much better in front of the Citizens Bank Park crowd. And Real Muto... I know the guy hits into infuriating double plays sometimes, but he's also starting to get some big hits. I would put Real Muto probably in the cleanup spot and move Bohm back down in the order a little. I don't think you have to do some crazy changing around with the with the lineups or anything like that, but I feel much better about Bryson Stott in the five hole after what we saw here in game five. The the RBI single in the first, and then later in the game, he started uh, taking the ball the other way and and slashing some, some base hits to the left side of the infield. That's a good sign for Bryson Stott. When you see him hitting line drives to left field, you know he's locked in. And I think maybe that grand slam kind of got him in a little bit of a weird funk where maybe he started to get a little bit pull happy. He started trying to chase those home runs. B. Stotts, we don't need you to do that, bud. We, do, we need you to be a gap-to-gap guy. We need you to be the opposite single, opposite field single guy, the guy who's getting on base all the time. We don't need you Jack and taters. If you do one once in a while, that's a beautiful thing. But just stay within yourself. Hit that ball the other way. Square it up. Stay up the middle. That's what you do. That is your game. And then flash that leather. What a don what a, what a, again what an amazing defensive game by Bryson Stott. That's not going to get talked about nearly enough. I didn't talk about it nearly enough, but what a what a what a great glove he is out there at second base. And really the Phillies defense as a whole, I know there've been some uh so, some missteps here and there, but having Brandon Marsh in left field over Kyle Schwarber is just it's leaps and bounds better. The outfield defense leaps and bounds better now than it was last year. Um don't hey, don't look now Johan Rojas starting to get some base hits. Starting to get some base hits for young for young Johan, and he's out there providing some solid defense out in center field still. I, I still am fine with him in the number nine spot, but I would definitely move Alec Boehm down. The pitching matchup, it's a good one. It's what we saw in game two. It'll be Aaron Nola against Merrill Kelly. It's amazing how much more confidence I have in Aaron Nola all of a sudden from where I was at the start of September to where I am sitting right here now at uh, 10, 20, uh, 12.23 a.m., October 22nd. We've now crossed over into Sunday as I'm recording this. How much better I feel about Aaron Nola since he fixed made those mechanical adjustments, it's, un- it's leaps and bounds. It's unbelievable. Um, in four clinching games over the last two seasons, I saw this stat on, on Twitter. I'm sorry, I, I lost the tweet, so I don't have the Twitter handle. I'm sorry. Um, but to whoever you are, please know that I'm crediting you in my mind. Uh, Aaron Nola in four clinchers over the last two seasons, 27 innings pitched, one earn run allowed. In four clinchers over the last two seasons, I think we're counting the uh, game where the Phillies um, beat the Astros to clinch the wild card in 2022. Uh, we've got to be talking about uh, the clincher for game two of the wild card series against the St. Louis Cardinals. We're talking uh, the game two clincher against the Marlins uh, this year. And uh, yeah, I guess the game four four clincher against Atlanta. Is that right? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, he's done a great job. 27 innings, one earned run allowed here in this postseason, three starts, a three and zero record. And as great as Zach Wheeler has been in the playoffs, Aaron Nola has a 0.96 earned run average 
here in the playoffs. 18 and two-thirds, 19 to two strikeout to walk ratio. In game two, he went six innings, gave up three hits, no runs, seven strikeouts, no walks. And he could have gone longer into that game, but by that point, the Phillies had started to build up their big lead in that 10 to nothing victory. Merrill Kelly pitched pretty well his last time out, but the third time through the order got him. Uh, We'll see if the Phillies can improve upon their results from the last time out. Five and two-thirds innings for Merrill Kelly in game two. Gave up three hits, only three hits allowed. All of them home runs. Three home runs, four earned runs total, six strikeouts, three walks in that game. Trey Turner took him deep. Kyle Schwarber hit him for two home runs in that game two win uh, that the Phillies blasted them out of the water 10 to nothing. And now the Phillies crowd gets to reassert itself. I wasn't sure when we were going to get back to Philadelphia because... You know, it was looking like when we last spoke, when the Phillies left Philadelphia, the Rangers had a 2-0 lead on the Astros in the World Series, in in the ALCS, and I think a lot of us predicted the Phillies would win two out of three against the Diamondbacks in Arizona at least, if not sweep that team. And so if that had happened, the Rangers had beaten the Astros and the Phillies had taken care of business in Arizona. World, we wouldn't have seen Phillies baseball in Philadelphia until Game 3 of the World Series. But as it's turned out, the Astros have turned the ALCS on its head, taking a 3-2 series lead with three straight wins in Texas. Uh, now they have to just win one more. They have the same job the Phillies do. Win one game in Houston. In order to go on to the World Series, the Phillies have to win one game in Philadelphia in order to go to the World Series, and we could be looking at a rematch of last year's World Series. How It's incredible to me how similarly 2023 has played out to 2022. There have been some differences, obviously, but my goodness, are we, are we actually, could we actually get a World Series rematch? It's what I predicted before the playoffs started. I just... I didn't I don't know if I really thought it was going to happen, but the crowd now gets to assert itself. The the, the this this team, I, I'm just trying to imagine the scene at Citizens Bank Park on Monday night. We don't know if it's going to be a five o'clock game or an eight o'clock game just yet. Um, if uh, if Houston beats Texas on Sunday, then it will be an eight o'clock game because the Astros will have advanced to the World Series. Um, So I don't know if I'm rooting for that or if I'm rooting for the Rangers to kind of extend this and to create a little bit more chaos. So you have a game seven uh, on Monday. Um, That might be for the best. You have to probably have the Astros or the Rangers, you know, burn more pitchers and uh, a long grueling series like that. Maybe that benefits the Phillies, but who knows? Maybe the Phillies series goes seven games as well. But if uh, if the Astros win, the Phillies get an eight o'clock start. If the Astros don't win, if it's a Rangers win, the Phillies game will start at five o'clock. Um, a little after five o'clock Eastern, so that uh, the so that the Rangers Astros can be the primetime game. You got to have a game seven on primetime. I get that, uh, but uh, you want that Philly crowd all jacked up, folks. I know if you're going to be out there, I know it's going to be crazy. I know it's going to be insane. I think you can, we can collectively will this team to a game six victory against a very game Arizona Cardinals team uh, that uh, is going to come back into Philadelphia and uh, try and try for some knockout blows here uh, with Aaron Nola on the mound, a fully rested bullpen. I think we're going to see an improved bullpen pitching in Philadelphia. I think this bullpen pitches better with this home crowd, and the home crowd really does have an effect on the opposition, and it has an effect on this team. It's also an easier park to hit home runs. It just, it just is. So I, I'm just, this game five win was so huge, so enormous. 
And of course, Zach Wheeler gets the lion's share of the credit for getting the Phillies through this game and getting this thing to a game six in Philadelphia with the Phillies having a chance to close things out and advance to their second straight World Series. Folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season, your game five NLCS recap, Philly six, Diamondbacks one. What a fun game and what a fun time it's going to be at Citizens Bank Park on Monday night. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.